So as the story is told, Jesus has attracted a large crowd at the edge of the sea. So large, in fact, he climbed into a boat to gain distance and perspective. Matthew reports that from this vantage point, Jesus told one of his most famous and beloved parables. It's famous for good reason. It's a wonderful story that's been allegorized to death over the centuries. A sower scatters seed with generous, even wasteful abandon in a wide arc. Lousy soil, rocks, thorn, weeds, and birds all prevent most of it from taking root. With unusual concern for the listener's understanding, Jesus interprets his own storytelling as it's recorded. The various outcomes represent the responses of different persons to hearing the words of God's kingdom. Evidently, ironically, in the moment, even the words heard from Jesus' own mouth and on this very day at the seashore. The moral seems transparent. But I'll start by asking a simple and obvious question. Which one of the outcomes represents you? Taking Jesus' words at face value, overall, are you good soil or bad soil? I suppose that might seem a a bit odd to ask since all of you've managed to come out to church on a hot summer day. Then again, we know the kinds of problems that Christians can get themselves into even though they are listening to the words of Scripture. Knowing myself as I do, while the answer might be, well, All things being equal, I'm pretty good soil, thank you. Probably the better answer might be, honestly, much of the time, I'm quite hard and crusty, sorry to say, even here. If we spoke frankly to one another, we'd have to admit that what we generally like to hear is confirmation of what we think we already know, right? Most of the time, we're not hoping for some major corrective to our thinking in our attitudes, prejudices, and predispositions, our understanding of our place in the world. We really want to hear all of that confirmed. We'll actively seek out those persons and places that that will do that for us. And frankly, we hold a pretty high opinion of our own opinions. And our technology today allows us to associate only with those who confirm our suspicions. One of the most documented findings in human dynamics is that the average person believes very flattering things about him or herself. Beliefs that do not stand up to objective analysis. For instance, there's a lot of studies that reveal the general public thinks that they are more intelligent, more fair-minded, 
less prejudiced and more skilled behind the wheel of a car than an average person. A survey of one million high school seniors found that 70% thought they were above average in leadership ability, and only 2% thought they were below average. In terms of ability to get along with others, all students thought they were above average, 60% thought they were in the top 10%, and 25 thought they were in the top 1%. A survey of university professors found that 94% thought they were better at their jobs than their colleagues. <laughs> and these statistics simply document what we instinctively believe about ourselves. We like what we think. And we like ourselves for it. So if we had taken a survey today of what sort of soil you thought you were, it would have been a good bet to predict that the results would indicate a truckload of rich, loamy earth is filling these pews. But then any given church service seems to promote cross-purposes. We certainly want to celebrate a foundational faith we all jointly affirm. We're sisters and brothers together, bound by a common sacred ancestry. We have a holy bond, having discovered each of us as one of God's beloved offspring. And in this, we long to hear God's reassuring voice about who we are, how worthy we are, how wonderful and loved we are, how valuable and correct our opinions. In fact, you'll hear me talk about this a lot. But my experience has been that on the rare occasion, here's the thing, on the rare occasion I realize God has just spoken, I am shaken to my core. God's voice truly heard rearranges the foundation blocks of our lives. It brings new and important information, often disrupting information. And while this voice has loving intention, it may come as a great interruption to our normal way of understanding ourselves and our world. You mean I'm not the brightest bulb in the room? You mean I actually should work at loving my enemy, for instance? Then again, most of the time, I don't hear the voice of God so profoundly. Truth is, much of the time, I'm as impervious to it as the hard path upon which the seed fell, easily picked off by the circling birds. Come to think of it, there seems to be a lot of waste on a Sunday morning. You know, think of the cost of running this place Sunday to Sunday. I can tell you that it costs a lot. And there's no telling who will show up, especially in the summer. And then there's such a lot of words and a lot of music, even organized silence, spent with little return in our short, expensive hour, given our predispositions to hear what we want to hear. It's like a great profligacy of seed scattered in a wide arc, wide arc. True enough, all of us have a lot on our minds, running the gamut from a recent visit with a doctor to startling news about a loved one, tomorrow's work agenda, the current state of the markets, 
preoccupation with our national politics, matters ranging from the tragic to the worrisome to the joyful to the mundane. The crowds came out to hear Jesus, but the question remains, would it make any difference that they did? He said it depended upon what sort of soil his seed words fell. Hard to tell, really. Hard to know where the good soil might be found. For any given person, it might depend on the day, I suppose. He knew the people who came to listen were very attached to what they thought they already knew, because that's human nature. Scatter the seed, that's about all you could do, and hope for the best. Seems like a lot of waste in that, though. And by the end of his short and seemingly wasted life, what did he have to show for his efforts? Executed as a criminal at a young age, probably could have been a decent carpenter if he put his mind to it, had a nice spouse, a number of kids, and been a credit to his village instead of an embarrassment if he'd only stayed home. As it was, he managed 12, maybe 15, 20, couple of dozen hardcore followers after his short career scattering seeds of what he referred to as the kingdom of God, whatever that was. But you see, that seems just the point. From the sower's perspective, the indiscriminate sowing is what allows for the harvest. Sure, on any given day, most of the seed doesn't land in promising terrain, but the little it does produce a re- produces a remarkable result. And there, in this very small and transparent story, we see a snapshot of how God moves and works in the world among humans. God makes the seeming impossible possible. God sows abundance in the midst of scarcity. At any one time, in any one place, the words of the kingdom don't need to land and produce 100% or 80, 50, 20. This is a very hopeful story, really. Hanging around the church, one can sometimes get accustomed to what seems a very modest result at any given moment. Ironically, we don't Follow a man whose friends abandon him at this moment. Don't we follow a man whose friends abandon him at this moment of greatest need? And aren't they our forebears? Nevertheless, something of what Jesus said and lived, some fertile germ of understanding took root. Here we are, 2,000 years later. Even with all of our preoccupations, when we might be spending our time at the shore in the park or in bed with the times on our iPad and a cup of coffee. I was thinking this week, you know, there's a very great vulnerability to God's way in the world God's words and wisdom are subject to all the adverse conditions found in hostile environments. Yet there seems a never-ending, indiscriminate sowing of God's truth, love, and hope. And sometimes it lands, takes hold, and 
spreads deep roots because that seems to be the a part of the creation fabric life and hope and love will have the day such a sowing took place on the corner of Park Avenue and 60th Street nine decades ago the plant that sprung from that crusty soil between the subterranean crossing of the NNR trains and the Metro North Railroad between the traffic-filled streets of a midtown nexus in the largest city in the nation, right there in that hard-packed geography. That plant, though sometimes weathering long droughts, has lifted branches that have formed a sanctuary of hope. When you're when you go about your business beyond these walls, when you, on the occasion you consciously wonder why you should bother to regularly put your faith into action in small, seemingly inconsequential moments of the day, a conversation here, a word of forgiveness there, a particular sort of difficult decision on the cause of right, standing for integrity in the middle of a very difficult adversity or offering a cup of water to someone who's dying of thirst. Remember that our God sows indiscriminately, showering fertile and rocky and weed-infested soil alike with the blessings of the kingdom. We should not be worried about the soil we're sowing. We should be worried about the sowing. Doesn't it strike you that so very often, even when we intend good, we wait for the best moment, which might come once every ten years? When every moment is an opportunity to spread kingdom seed indiscriminately, even towards people we can't stand. Even there. Because this is what God does. We're here as a result of God's indiscriminate sowing. Isn't that a wonder? Isn't that a wonder? And as you think about it, isn't it a deep and astonishing revelation that you can participate in precisely the very same activity? Wow. Generous is the name of our God. So too, by birthright, all of God's children carry that name as well.